Hi, this is Andrew Bass, and this is the Performance Podcast. It was seven o'clock one evening, and I was finishing up a day working on a project within a global transaction processing business. I saw that the light was still on in the corner office, so I popped my head in to say hi to my client. He looked up from his desk and said, in some frustration, how do I get my managers to accept more ambiguity? They want to be promoted, but when they get there, they still want the clear instructions they needed at lower levels. They escalate issues too quickly, and I and my co-directors are swamped. Here's why I think this happens. Education too often boils down to an elaborate game of guess what the teacher is thinking. If you give final year undergraduates an open-ended assignment, they will put far more effort in trying to get the lecturer to define the answer than they will in actually thinking about the question for themselves. And you know that's a rational strategy for the student because often lecturers will cave in. Having learned this, graduates effortlessly fall into trying to play guess what the boss is thinking when they enter the workplace. Now that's okay, and it might even suit their managers in the early days until they need to transition these people into leadership roles. Then the newly promoted managers are stuck, like a computer sitting there waiting for input. It's a common issue, but since the key responsibility of leaders at all levels is to accept and then reduce ambiguity for their followers, it really falls to businesses to prepare their people for the role. Here's what needs to be worked on. Number one, increase tolerance of ambiguity. This is actually a mental toughness thing. A big part of mental toughness is the ability to put up with discomfort rather than regarding it as a signal to stop. As a kid, I was into motor racing and we had a Formula One motor racing champion in Britain, James Hunt, who then became a commentator. And in the year that he won the world championship, He was regularly sick before Grand Prix, before races that he won. But he never regarded that as a reason to give up. And there are many actors who suffer stage fright, and again, sometimes people who are sick before performances, who go on stage and then amaze their audiences who would never know that they've been that concerned. Not saying this is the ideal way to get through things, but there's something about the ability to tolerate discomfort. So when people realize that being a leader, that feeling ambiguity goes with being a leader, so that's not a reason to stop. That's something I think you need to reinforce with people. The second point is to help people to understand the distinction between perfect and good enough. This is, again, this is hard for people with a strong professional or technical training. It can be hard to accept that perfect is often suboptimal in business. Think about it this way, maybe it helps. There's a difference between aerospace engineering where a rounding error of a few decimal places might cause an aeroplane to fall out of the sky, and running an air cargo business, where perhaps you've got an aeroplane out of position and you really could have done without it, and you end up having to incur extra costs to put cargo on somebody else's plane, but that's what it takes to make good, and at that point, good enough is fine, rather than waiting to get your aeroplane in position to send the cargo out the next day. Understanding the difference between perfect and good enough is critical. The third key for helping with reducing ambiguity and being comfortable with that is being prepared to tolerate some mistakes. Now you can come at this from both ends. 
If you want people to take more risks, then you need to make sure they have some tools for identifying and mitigating risks. And I'll have some more to say about that in a future podcast. On the other side, though, you need to treat attempts well. I saw an excellent example of this on a client project a couple of years ago that really stuck in my mind. This was a business that really, there were two cultures fighting it out because of a merger. And one of them was a bit of a blame culture. And that's why this behavior, this great example stood out. A new executive arrived and something had happened on a project that hadn't gone that well. And she said to the team that was in her office holding their breath, she said, look, perhaps things didn't go as well as they could have done. But we are here now. Let's move on. She had a big picture and she could see in the grand scheme of things that it was more important to keep people moving and to make them realize that a few mistakes are okay as long as people's intentions have been good and so forth and they've been trying their best. The interesting thing is that she really stood out, her operations thrived, and a couple of years later, she's the one running the division. Point four, when things are ambiguous, you need to be prepared to find a purpose or to make one. When coaching, this comes up often, I'll hear people say something which amounts to, I just don't know what to do, confused. And the question I'll often ask is to take them away from thinking about what to do for a moment and get them focused back on the result. What is it that you're trying to achieve? Because once you're clear again on that, and it's so easy for us to drift away from the focus on the result, once you've become clear on that again, often a number of paths of activity will suggest themselves. If you're really stuck, go back to the long-term values that you think are important and the company has said is important. For example, ask yourself, what's the customer's best interest here? and then see where that gets you in terms of figuring out the best thing to do. Number five is a bias towards finding the answer out in the world. Too often I think people are asking themselves the question, what shall I do? I don't know what to do. What shall I do? What shall I do? Very often they're asking the wrong person because the answer isn't in their own heads. You need to do something, something safe, something controlled to get feedback from the world outside. Do experiments. Now, this might be as simple as sending out a draft of an idea and saying to people who can give you the information, can I run something by you? And by using words like draft and asking to run something by you, you're not committed. This is a great tactic. And a consultant colleague of mine who does a lot of work in law firms jokes, but actually there's a lot of wisdom in this, that every document that he ever sends out to the partners of a law firm is a draft. And that way you don't get resistance. So use drafts, float ideas by people using the words, can I run something by you? And the other thing that you can do is to run what I call snowball projects. A snowball project is a small project in a very well-defined scope with a short time scale, but a very real target. And the idea is that you might say, what can we do in 30 days or 45 days to increase sales, increase throughput? reduce rework, whatever it may be, but in a very small part of the operation. That way you don't get resistance and you learn without being embarrassed if things don't work. But when things do work, then you can pile more and more resources in and the word will spread and you get a natural, positive, virtuous circle. So those five ideas, again, those five themes for developing leadership capability and ambiguity. One is to realize you've got to build and increase tolerance, the mental toughness angle. Secondly, understand the distinction between perfect and good enough. Thirdly, be prepared to tolerate some mistakes. Fourth, be prepared to find a purpose or make one. And fifthly, have a bias towards finding the answer out in the world 
maybe by just starting dipping your toe in and getting feedback. All of these five themes can be worked on. I don't think it's a genetic thing as to whether or not somebody is able to get better at these. And it countermands the training people have had in their traditional education. It makes a great coaching initiative, by the way. The key point of all of this is that unlike those people who my clients saw desperate for promotion, but still wanting everything nailed down for them, the most effective leaders all accept that very often it's going to fall to them to define an ambiguous situation. Thanks for listening. This has been the Performance Podcast with me, Andrew Bass.